Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to Avery After Dark. I am your host, Avery Ross, and I have a question for you. When you think of witches, what comes to mind? In modern TV and entertainment, witches are portrayed as funny, whimsical, powerful, and mysterious. They are thought to be nature servants, and witchcraft is an acceptable topic and even a pastime for some. We love TV shows like Bewitched, and Vampire Diaries and movies like Hocus Pocus. I actually just watched Practical Magic recently for the 20th time, and it is hands down one of my favorites. It's crazy to think, though, that years and years ago, you and I could be imprisoned for even talking about witchcraft in this way. And that's where today's story begins. We are talking about the Salem Witch Trials. While you're watching some of your favorite witchy programs, you may notice that some of the names and historical references that they use sound kind of familiar. Almost always, they will tie back to Salem, Massachusetts and what happened there so many years ago. I have been excited for this episode for months. It is now time for you to sit back and relax and let me tell you about one of the most shocking chapters in American history where hundreds were accused of practicing witchcraft the devil's magic, they called it. And according to the Boston Globe, 20 were executed and another five died while in prison. The Salem witch trials were seven months of complete supernatural hysteria. Most of the accused quote-unquote witches were women. And it's hard to believe that all of this actually happened, but it did. Let's go way back to the start. It's February 1692 and we are in the village of Salem, Massachusetts. The Puritans settled in Salem in 1626. The Puritans were English Christians who didn't quite agree with the practices of the Church of England and came to America for freedom of religion without persecution. One of the biggest things to keep in mind here is that these were hard times for villagers, for everyone really. Day-to-day life was stressful and having fun was actually considered irreligious or ungodly. Outwardly, there was near-constant fighting between settlers and Native Americans, and it left the village of Salem extremely isolated. Within the village, relationships in the community were strained between neighbors. Life was extremely strict for people, and during this time, people feared starvation and disease. There was a recent smallpox epidemic, and illness and disease would ravage through communities, wipe out families. The simmering tensions in this community led to a lot of fear. You have to think, this was a time with no modern heating, no electric, so when it's winter, you are cold for months. If you get sick, you are sick in the cold. They had very little medicine available for illnesses. You know, say you're hungry. You gotta find it yourself. Food was scarce. 
There wasn't a dozen food chains and grocery stores on every corner like we have now. The Puritans were industrious people, so almost everything within the home was made by hand. So, to put it simply, if you wanted something, you had to get it or make it yourself. Let's break down some of the societal norms during this time period. Men's roles were to farm, fix things around the house, and take care of the livestock. Women were supposed to cook, care for the home, clean, even make their own soaps. Puritans attended church every Sunday morning for three hours. Three hours. While the reverend would give sermons that warned against evil, some of the prayers would even last over an hour. And throughout the week, villagers would meet and pray as well. So religion was everything to these people. There was also an increased paranoia about the supernatural at this time. And this all rooted back to the Puritans' mindset. Belief in the supernatural and witchcraft, aka the devil's practice, was thought to give certain humans the power to harm others in return for their loyalty. If you put yourself in their position, when you are going hungry, you have family members getting sick and dying, there's constant fighting, people really felt they had to cling to something, some kind of hope, and that was their religion. Those in the community who didn't attend church? Oh, no, 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 no. They were often fined or overall just ostracized and looked down upon. Let's talk a little bit more about the role of women in this time. Women were especially expected to toe the line. The Puritan mindset was that, quote, women were deemed to be more susceptible to seduction by the devil, end quote. Ladies were said to be weak-willed and have loose tongues. For all my ladies that are listening, feel free to get that major eye roll in right about now. But wait, there's more. Culture at that time was that women were inherently sinful and more susceptible to damnation than men were. Women were more likely to become agents of the devil, which is so insane, but these were the times. It's also interesting because although this was their mindset, Puritan women played a bigger role in the community than others during this time period. They were actually taught to read, which was very rare, and women were also expected to handle finances for their household and educate the children. So it's interesting to me, women had such a complex role at the time. They were considered to be more easily tempted by the devil, but were also given a lot of responsibility and more freedom than others. Overall, it was a very formidable time for the village of Salem. That brings us to that winter, and oh, it was a rough one. The winter of 1692 was one of the coldest on record. Snowy, freezing temperatures, it was frigid, and people in the village were really on edge. One fateful day, two cousins, 9-year-old Betty Paris and 11-year-old Abigail Williams, started exhibiting strange and startling behavior. They began having these fits where they would violently contort their bodies and have uncontrollable outbursts of screaming full-on hysterical fits. Their families didn't know what was going on with them. They had never seen anything like this before. And soon enough, this behavior spread to 12 more girls in the village, and they started up with these bizarre fits too. When asked why the girls were acting this way, they complained that their skin felt prickly and that they could feel ghosts and spirits touching them. 
They describe the feeling of crawling and tingling sensations under the skin. A local doctor named William Griggs was brought in to examine the girls, and he said that nothing was physically wrong with them, but did say that there was something going on here. The doctor told the families that these young girls were under an evil hand and diagnosed them with bewitchment. And now a quick word from today's sponsors. You're back with Avery After Dark. Why these girls were behaving this way has been debated for centuries. Some have pointed to the girls possibly having some sort of rye fungus poisoning, which causes convulsions similar to hysteria. And you can also suffer from those kinds of crawling sensations on the skin. This poisoning is thought to have come from the rye fungus from the crops. It's a parasite that, when ingested, can make people really sick. The only question with this was why it was just these young girls getting sick at the same time. If it was the case of some sort of poisoning, you would think that more villagers would be falling ill around the same time. Whatever was going on seemed to be isolated to these young girls. Others believe that they may have been making it up. It is coincidental that all of them, all of a sudden, came down with these fits. Some others believe that there was some kind of witchcraft or supernatural element involved. You can listen to the rest of the story and decide what you believe actually happened. So when this doctor tells the families that their daughters are under the hand of evil and said that they were bewitched, you already know this struck a chord with the Puritans. And I bet you know of the phrase witch hunt. Well, here we go. The village began a search for whatever witch was behind this. They asked these kids what happened, and four of these girls afflicted with those fits told the village authorities that three local women in the community tormented them. So you have these literal children pointing and saying, oh, she put a spell on me. And on February 29th, arrest warrants were issued for the three women. One of these women was a homeless Sarah Good, who was pregnant and had a young daughter at the time. The next was Sarah Osborne, who had made enemies in Salem through legal disputes and didn't attend church. As we talked about, this was a big no-no and pretty unheard of back then. The third woman arrested was Tichuba. Tichuba was enslaved by the Paris family and originated from the Caribbean. So word spread of these arrests, and the village immediately labeled them witches. And everyone freaked out. This kind of freakout wasn't new or exclusive to Salem. Between the years of 1500 and 1660, according to the History Channel, up to 80,000 suspected witches were put to death in Europe. 80% of these people were women and were accused of being filled with lust and in cahoots with the devil. Germany had the highest witch execution rate, while Ireland had the lowest. But this witch hysteria in Europe set a really dangerous precedent for Salem. Anyone that was accused of being a witch was immediately and completely ostracized from the community. These authorities took the word of these young children, kids, as gospel truth. All of the accusers were under 20 years old. The three women accused of witchcraft were brought before the magistrates and were questioned. The young girls were even brought into the courtroom and made this big public showing of their fits. They were up there spasming, 
contorting, screaming for the entire courtroom to watch. As you can imagine, it was quite the spectacle. This was all a part of spectral evidence, which was allowed by the courts during the trials. Spectral evidence is courtroom testimony where a witness describes the harm an accused has inflicted on them. So during the trials, Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne maintain their innocence and deny any involvement and also deny that they participate in any sort of witchcraft. But Tituba, on the other hand, falsely confessed and stated that she did practice witchcraft, but only under the orders of Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. This was essentially so she could save herself from conviction by acting as an informer and pointing the finger at other quote-unquote witches in the community. Another extremely tragic part of the trials was that Sarah Good's four-year-old daughter, Dorothy, was also imprisoned during this time as well. She was only a toddler, but was accused of being deranged and animalistic after consorting with the devil. Authorities said that Dorothy confessed to her crimes, this four-year-old, and told police that she saw her mother, Sarah, with the devil. She later testified against her mom. This is really one of the most vile points of the Salem witch trials, how they treated Sarah Good and her daughter, pitted this four-year-old against her mother. It's just sickening. Sarah Good's own husband also turned against her during the trials and said that, quote, she was a witch or would be one very quickly. Sarah's newborn sadly died after Sarah gave birth while she was in jail. Sarah Good was convicted and was executed. So Sarah was labeled a witch, her daughter turned against her. Her husband turned against her. Tichuba told the entire community that she was a witch. She loses her newborn in prison and then she's executed. All because these kids said that she was a witch and these adults believed them. It's shockingly evil. Sarah Osborne went on to die in prison as well while Tichuba was eventually released and walked free. Overall, the town was going nuts. It's time we talk about one of the most controversial things that were used during this time, which were the witch tests. These witch tests were used in Europe years before and also used in the Salem witch trials to prove whether the accused was actually guilty of being a witch. Let's break down some of these tests that were given and you'll be able to see that all of these tests were setting up the accused to fail. They were nearly impossible for anyone to pass. The first test was an incantation test. This was where the accused man or woman would verbally order the devil to leave an afflicted victim. And if the victim became cured, the accused was proven to be a witch. The next test was the prayer test where the accused were made to recite the Lord's Prayer or a selection of scripture from memory. And if they made any kind of error while they recited, or God forbid accidentally forgot a part of the scripture, they were a witch. You think those are insane? It gets so much worse. Moving on, we have the skin test, which wasn't really much of a test at all. It just consisted of authorities looking over the accused nude bodies to see if they had any moles, freckles, birthmarks, scars, or extra nipples 
they believed that these were proof of contact with the devil. Imagine being thrown in jail and police using the mole on your back as evidence, or the freckle on your cheek, or a scar. (laughs) Another commonly talked about test was the swimming and dunking test. Accused witches were bound at the wrists and ankles and dropped into a body of water. If they floated, they were guilty. If they sank, they were innocent, but obviously died. Water was thought to be pure and would purge itself of anything that was evil, such as a witch. There was also a touch test, where if an accused witch touched their victim and the victim felt any pain, they were guilty. And I saved the worst for last, which was the witch cake test. This is where a witch was forced to bake a cake with her urine mixed in, and then take that cake and feed it to a dog. And if the dog had any adverse effects, she was a witch. I know. I know. Insane. I told you. For any of these tests to be admissible in a court of law, it's not often that I am at a loss for words, but right now, I am. Today's justice system is very far from perfect. Very far. But when you look at where we were years and years ago, we have come quite far. All of these tests are more unhinged than anything a witch was accused of. And as you can see, the accused were damned either way. And now another quick word from today's sponsors. You're back with Avery After Dark. So it is arrest after arrest, and it's quite honestly beginning to overwhelm the courts. They cannot keep up with all the trials and accused, but it didn't matter. The hysteria was growing by the minute. The community and authorities demanded that we must track down every witch amongst us and take them out. This witch hunt continued to spread across Massachusetts, the number of accused witches totaling in the hundreds. She's a witch. Boom. Arrested. She's a witch, too. Boom. Arrested. It was like... Anyone could point a finger and say, she's a witch. And the authorities were like, okay, we're taking her in. What? Many of the accused were middle-aged to older women. And here were some of the common tip-offs that a woman was a witch. Being single, having no friends, having too many friends, or being poor. (sighs) I don't know. I don't know what to say anymore. Many of the accused were thought to be difficult members of the community or outcasts. Any loner was suspicious. Theorists point to this as a way for the community to sort of weed out these kinds of individuals. And many more of the accused, like Tichaba, began falsely confessing and blaming others to save themselves. Because the thing was... The accused had very limited options when they were arrested or proven to be a witch through those tests. Either A, confess that you were indeed a witch and under the hand of evil and beg for forgiveness, or B, deny that you were a witch and you'd be executed. So if you were accused, the one thing that you could do was rat on someone else. Point the finger at a friend, a neighbor, or someone you didn't even like. That was a ticket out of being executed or imprisoned. 
And this is because authorities didn't want to do diligent investigations, hence those bogus tests. They wanted the accused to admit they did wrong and promise to never participate in witchcraft again. So as we discussed earlier, confession or not, you were guilty and you were a witch. And as I mentioned before, many of the accused were women, but there were also men accused. So it was really unfair on both sides to both men and women. The accused were taken to a place known as Witch Jail, known today in Salem as Old Witch Gowl, which was essentially a dungeon where all these men and women were kept. They were starved, tortured, and held in inhumane conditions. By the spring of 1693, Hundreds of people had been accused of being witches or for allegedly participating in witchcraft. And if you can imagine it, even two dogs were executed for their alleged contribution to witchcraft rituals. This should just show you how unhinged this community was. It wasn't until the wife of the governor of Massachusetts Colony was accused of being a witch that he suspended the trials. The accusations were starting to hit a little too close to home for him. Apparently, that governor was all for executing other men and women, but when it came to his wife, then it's, oh, whoa, 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 let's rethink this. After months of insanity, all charges were dropped and prisoners were released in May 1693. But uh, it was a little too late by that time. 20 people had been executed and five died in prison from malnourishment, illness, or injuries, and people had their lives ruined. It's common folklore that witches were burned at the stake, but historically, most of whom were accused were executed by hanging, and one was executed by being crushed to death by rocks. The burning at the stake was more of a European thing, and they did this for the dramatics. All in all, the Salem witch trials are a cautionary tale of how dangerous mob mentality is, and also the power of fear in order to manipulate citizens. It's said that a fear-ridden society will always find a scapegoat to blame their problems on, and in this case, the courts had to come up with their own tests and irrational legal systems to justify going after the accused in such unjust ways. And we see this going on now, in 2022, when our country isn't doing well, it's immediately someone else's fault. If you're a Democrat, it's the Republicans' fault. If you're a Republican, it's the Democrats' fault. Even these radical extremists will wish imprisonment and death on the other side. Same with cancel culture. This attempt to completely trash someone's entire life based on a tweet or a mistake or something that they said that people don't agree with. Hmm. Trying to destroy someone's life based off accusations and because they maybe live differently than you or have different beliefs? Sound familiar? Ringing any bells? In a lot of ways, we have progressed as a society, but in many ways, we haven't. Today, Salem stands as a beautiful town with a violent history. And as you can imagine, there's reports of some pretty spooky occurrences around Salem. One of the most commonly visited and talked about is the infamous Witch House. One of the only remaining buildings linked to the trials, its principal resident, 
was Judge Jonathan Corwin, who oversaw the execution of those accused of being a witch back in the day. Inside, visitors have claimed to hear the sound of disembodied voices and the feeling that they are being watched. Inside of the witch house, you'll even find a black shoe, which is a superstitious ritual to ward off witches. Another chilling spot is Proctor's Ledge, which historians and paranormal investigators agree was most likely the site of the hangings in the trials. There, a ghost of a lady in white has frequently been spotted. Some have seen her spirit, others will hear her voice. Other notably haunted spots to check out is the House of Seven Gables, the Old Salem Jail, and the Salem Inn. Honestly, they have such an impressive variety of museums and historic homes you can tour. It's pretty incredible. And they are all said to have their fair share of paranormal activity. With all that went down there, it is no surprise to me. I hope today's episode sticks with you and the next time you're watching a movie or a TV show and witches are mentioned, you will now know the full rundown of what actually happened. Witchcraft, the paranormal, spirituality... We have always had a fascination with it across the world. I so hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want all these episodes ad-free, join the Avery After Dark Patreon for only three bucks a month. A special shout out and thank you to those who have already joined. You guys are awesome. I'm linking that in the show notes, so go join. And if you enjoy this podcast, share it with your friends, family, coworkers, And if you are enjoying Avery After Dark, be sure to leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're following along on all the socials. And I will see you next episode. Toodaloo, witches!